chapter, looking at verses 11 to 21. As we continue on in this letter of Paul to the church in Galatia, I want to just lift up a few verses from this part of the letter. So as we look closely, I want to highlight at the end, looking there at verse 19. Reading from the New Living Translation, the Word of God says, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Praise God for his words. You may be seated as you take your seat. If you help me announce the subject matter to your neighbor, tell them justification by faith. Amen. Amen. Tell your other neighbors so they don't feel left out. Talk to them to tell them justification by faith. All right. All right. Uh, one, two, as we look into this, le- this part of this letter, uh, we find even more about Paul and, and definitely his, uh, his, his boldness and his preaching and, and dealing with this gospel. But before I go any further, before I lose anybody and they nod off and get their afternoon nap and go ahead and fall asleep, I want to deal with real quick what justification is. Uh, not what we use in our modern vernacular, but here in this text, the theological doctrinal term of justification Justification basically means this. God says so. That's it. That's it. It's because God says so. So because God says that you are right, you are right. You did not do anything to make yourself right. Then God affirmed it. No, no, because Christ did all the work. You place your faith in him. Then God says you're just. So think about justification based because God says so. And think about because God says so, it is. And so here's the terminology to understand what justification means, that I have been justified by my faith in Christ. And because my justification is not based on what I have done, but what Christ has done, but my faith in Christ, because the work he has done, God says that I am right with him. Now, To think about what justification is, that it means for us to be right with God, and only because God has said so, think about how oftentimes parents are in that great position of telling the children of what to do, and they ask, why? Because I, y'all with me. And so they understand it because I said so, the authority has spoken, it needs to be done, all because I said so. And so here it is. God is letting us know that why are we justified? Because I 
says so. We are justified because Christ has done the work. And it says when we place our faith in him, that's when God speaks is okay. You are right with me. But let's look about what is not right. What is not right? Sin is not right. We live in a fallen world full of sin that's making us to think that sin is okay. And they make us think sin is okay because we watch it every day on TV. And we watch it so much on TV that it's okay to imitate it in our lives because we see it on TV. And since we see it on TV, we want to see it in reality. So therefore, we do what we see on TV. It's, it's interesting how TV once used to imitate life, but now life imitates TV. Because now, because of the TV aspect is, is almost kind of not as important. Now, if I see it on the Internet, it must be good. It must be something worth following, worth duplicating, worth applying to my life. We have new dances coming from the Internet. We have new skits and vocabulary coming from the Internet. Think about vocabulary words you use now that you don't even know what they mean, but you hear people saying about trolling. (laughs) Hashtag. Things you didn't think about. What's trending? It went viral. Things that if you would say back in the day, you would say it went viral and say, Who's, who got sick? But now we hear something went viral means that it's on the Internet. Everybody's watching it, checking in on it. It has a million clicks. If it's trending, everybody's repeating it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Pinterest, Tumblr, whatever it is. We live in such a influenced society that it's easy for us to get caught up with the masses and do what everybody else is doing because everybody else is doing it, that we don't want to stand out. But catch this. Paul stands out. And when Paul stands out, he does not stand alone. He stands on the authority and the power of the gospel. I want to hear and encourage each and every one of you that if you stand out, don't worry about it. You're not alone. You can stand too, just like Paul, on the power and the authority of the gospel. Look closely right there at the beginning. It says that even Peter, Paul, had to go and confront Peter. Not just anybody, but Peter, the one who Christ says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Uh, Peter, the one how even historian of Christianity knows the importance of Peter, that they believe he was the first pope and all popes came from him. Peter. Paul said, I had to confront Peter. I had to confront him and let him know that he was being a hypocrite. Woo, whoa, watch out. Paul, you are talking to Peter, the one who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus. And Paul says, I don't care who he is. If you wrong, you wrong. I had to confront him. And he says, I confronted him in front of everybody. Mm. I want you to understand that being justified by God should embolden us to speak on what we know to be true. In our Sunday school class, we were talking about the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and we were giving examples how when we had to step up and help somebody out. And we had to do what we knew to be right under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is looking at Peter. Peter was chilling with the Gentiles, but when the Jews came up, he said, No, nah, I can't hang out with y'all anymore. I got to hang out with my folk. Paul, Paul says he was so bad at it that who was with me, Barnabas, even fell for the hypocrisy. 
Paul said, I got to put a hold to this. I got to put a stop to this. I got to confront Peter, let him know that he was wrong. Let me help somebody out. You might know somebody in your life. They might be sitting next to you. Hold on, somebody. And you might have to go home and confront them and let them know that you're going down the wrong path. You're doing the wrong things. And let them know I see it and I'm going to call it out. That's y'all, some of y'all quiet. I mean, that's all right. Because it's going to be a time that they'll be in trouble. And you will only be thinking, if only I spoke earlier. If only I called them before it was too late. Now's the time. Now that it's been exposed and you see it for what it is, you should call it out and go and say, you know what? You shouldn't talk like this. You shouldn't act like this. You need to put the bottle down. You need to stop sleeping with everybody you meet. You need to stop smoking everything that you smoke. Just talk to them and be real with them and let them know that this is not what God has called you to do. And that's a challenge because why? Now you might be confronted against somebody that might confront you, but yet you have to stand on the power and authority of God's word. Paul was standing on the power and authority of God's word. He says, this is the gospel message. And he was only already telling Peter what he already knew. The same way when you tell a drunk they need to stop drinking, you're not telling them something they don't know. But they need to hear it. You know, Repeating stuff is good for you. You know why it's good? Because that's how you remember it. If, if repeating stuff was not any good for you, then why would they spend $6 million to have a commercial during three hours of a football game? Because they say, I know the investor, if I put these three million in for this commercial and I get it on the air and it keeps on repeating it and they go to YouTube to look at it some more, they're going to know about my product and then they're going to buy my product and I'm going to make that six million dollars back. So if a company can invest for 60 seconds millions of dollars, how much more can we not invest in someone's eternal life and share with them that Christ loves you? He gave his life for you. He wants you to know him for yourself. So here it is. Paul is confronting Peter, saying, look here, Peter, you're messing up. The gospel message for everybody, for the Jews and for the Gentiles. You're you're over here trying to hold them out and make them follow the rituals of the law. And that's only going to lead them into into death, into sin, away from his grace and his liberty. Because why? If we keep the law, we're making Christ die for nothing. There's some people out there, too, that you need to confront. They're going to think, if I live right, I'm making it to heaven. Tell them, you got to tell them that you can't work your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. And Paul's making it clear to them, say, you can't work your way in. You're leading people astray. This is hypocrisy. You got, we have to tell them that they can't live like Jews to be like us, but they have to live by faith. So we need to be straightforward in our talk and our communication that we don't live as hypocrisy because check this out. Not only did Paul confront the hypocrisy, we got to be careful that we're not like Peter. That we are Christians when it's comfortable. He was with the Gentiles, so it's easy to assimilate with the Gentile. But once the Jews came and said, oh, no, I got to go back to to what I know. You got to be careful that you can't have a friend at school, but when you go into your neighborhood, they're no longer your friend. Have a friend at work, but when you go outside of work, you act like you don't know them. 
How is it that we can tell somebody else they're your friend, but yet you don't have a good definition of friend because outside of the place, they're not your friend? We understand that he, Paul is pointing out to Peter that, Peter, you are here, yes, with the Gentiles, and you're eating with them, and you're enjoying the good food. But when the Jews come, all of a sudden you want to put them aside as if they're not good enough. We need to be careful that we need to show the love of Christ to who? Everybody that we meet. does not matter your social status, your ethnicity, your race, your station in life, your job, your position. But it does matter this, that we all are under Christ. And since you're all under Christ, we're in this together. We need to look out one for another. And when we share this gospel message, remember, it brings unity. There's unity in this gospel message. So we got to be straightforward. Tell your neighbor, be straightforward. Because when we are straightforward, God is straight with us. We see that right, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. We have we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. That's that's tough to swallow because he's pointing out to the Jews are still trying to hold on to what they know. If I keep the law, I'll be right with God, but no one will ever be right with God by keeping the law. The law does not make us right. It shows us that we are wrong. God declares that we are right. We are declared right by we putting our faith in who? In Jesus Christ. So we are made right not in obeying the law, but our faith in Jesus Christ. And because our faith in Jesus Christ, we'll be compelled to obey the law. Check this out. You, know, you might have heard this before. People say that I am working for the Lord. And that's great. But sometimes they have the order of message. Why are they working for the Lord? They're working for the Lord to be saved. But we are saved to work for the Lord. <laughs> you see, we, because we know who he is, we do what he's called us to do. Since we've been saved, we know we are saved. So now we work for him. We don't work to become saved because we already been saved. There's people out there that are trying to work their way into heaven. They're trying to work to be saved. You got to let them know you got to backward. You got to get saved first. And when you get saved, then you realize your works you're now doing are for him. And the works you're going to do for him, cast this. Your rewards won't be down here, but your rewards will be over in heaven. And so we understand that when we get the order right, we get our lives right, we're no longer living for this dying world and this fallen world, but we're living for Christ. And check this out. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, we know the Sunday school answer, but let me get you out there in the world. Let me see you walk by faith. The doctor shows you the x-rays or the scan and tells you this is what's wrong with you. You see it. Oh, it's over now. Walk by faith, huh? Not by sight. But your sight got you, didn't it? We are in a flesh world, so we understand the flesh is always eating at us. So here's a challenge that we have to trust him more than we trust ourselves. And so here it is. Paul is pointing out to Peter, you got to confront this. We, we are walking by faith, not by sight. We are saved by our faith in the Christ of the Lord. We are justified for Christ. So who do you live for now? So you, see, so you see how Paul points out, it's no longer I who live. Why is it no longer I who live? Because why I've been crucified with Christ. Our faith in the work on the cross should impact our everyday life. 
Think about it. Our faith in the work of the cross. Our faith is in God. Now, let me deal with faith for a moment. I'm going to move on. Sometimes we make faith to be something like a wish. Something that cannot be grasped. You know, faith is something that is like a wish. So, no, keep the faith. It might not work out, but just believe that it will. But my faith in God is not a wish. It's a confidence. We know Hebrews 11 says, so now, now faith is a substance of things, hope or evidence of things not seen. So we could call it this not seen part. And we talk about that. Well, I'm just going to take a leap of faith and walk out on faith. Let me tell you something. Uh, you don't see that terminology in the Bible, take a leap of faith. Let me help you out. We know faith. Here's his faith right here. Uh, Peter walked on water. We know he did that by faith. But he saw somebody else walking on water first. So once he saw the evidence, he said, I believe this. <laughs> Let me try this too. You can look throughout the Bible and find out they believe things based on evidence. Look how God reminds them all throughout the, 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 the Old Testament. He says, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's evidence. I am the Lord who took you out of Egypt. That is evidence. I am the one who provided manna in the windows. That is evidence. I am the one that divided the Red Sea and they walked on dry land. Evidence. I am the one that led you by cloud by day and fire by night. That's evidence. Here I want you to understand that he can speak in your life. I am the one that brought you from a mighty long way. That's evidence. So you know for a fact what God has done in the past. So you're not having a wish of something that might happen, but you're standing on confidence. That's why you can say Isaiah 30, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That's evidence. You don't even need to help. Go back. He says, have you not heard? Have you not known that the God, our God, is the everlasting God? There's none like him. Evidence. So now when you think about faith, think about it's evidence based on a solid fact that our God is who he says he is. And so now that my faith in Christ, my faith is on the evidence of the cross. Now, what's the evidence of the cross? The evidence of the cross that the tomb is empty. Evidence of the cross and that you have many accounts that he did die on the cross. Evidence of the cross. But here's the thing that we limit here ourselves because science can only do so many things. Science it can only duplicate and repeat what has been done that they can do. Science cannot repeat God coming to flesh. Dying on the cross. Science cannot repeat him rising from the grave on the third day with all power in hand. Science cannot repeat the earth shaking and the, and the sun hiding behind in noonday and, and graves open up and dead walk. Science cannot repeat that. So since science cannot repeat that, it must not be true. But they, what they don't understand is that God is bigger than science. Here's how big our God is. In the beginning. That's a blow your mind right there. Check it out. We know things by time. He's before time. He created time. Our God is so big that time has no containment on him because he's everlasting. So place your faith in that God who's beyond our understanding and finding out, wow, God, you are big. You are great. And I place my faith on your son who died 
for my sins and who defeated death by rising from the grave on the third day. I place my faith in that. And because I place my faith in him, you call me righteous. And since you call me righteous, I want to live right. No longer. I, so I am crucified with Christ. When he died on the cross, my, my sins died on the cross. And not only just my sins, but the desire to live a sin life. Remember, remember how we say it, right? That does not mean I'm sinless, but I sin less. That means that, you know, those curse words, they should come out, come out a lot less often. I said less often. Some of y'all might slip every once in a while. You know, you hit that toe on that end of the bedpost. We should realize that how can I surrender to the spirit and, and kill that old self and walk by faith. I have been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but it's who? Christ who lives in me. That I realize that my inward desire is no longer my desire, but the desire of Christ is in me. And and what are the desires of Christ? I'm glad you're asking such good questions. Well, open up the gospel and say, what did Christ do? Oh, he preached to the poor. He reached out to the poor. He was taught us about loving and forgiveness and kindness and, and mercy. So the question, am I showing this in my life? Am I walking by faith? Because I've been justified by God to do his good works and and called to do his thing. So no longer, so I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And and I love, he says, the one who loved me and gave his life up for me. That's why we love that good old hymn, oh, how I love Jesus. And we say, because he first loved me. Think about how his love moves us to love him. And his love moved us to love him. Even when we were far away from him, he was still moving on our behalf. And so when we look at this straight with God, God is looking straight at us and said, I want you to be with me. I want you to know me. And in order for you to know me, I have to remove what has been hindering us from having a good relationship. And what has been hindering us from having a good relationship is sin. And you've been trying to keep the law, and you've done the best that you can, but you just can't get it right. And, and we see that throughout the text, that they come to Jesus, say, Jesus, how can I get eternal life? Well, keep the laws. Well, I've come to these. They say, all right, sell everything that you have. Oh, that's rough. I don't know about all that. Uh, how, how can I get eternal life? And here comes the Nicodemus. Uh, 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 well, you must be born again. What are you talking about? This, this is beyond my understanding. I'm already an old man. going to climb back in my mother's womb. Uh, the scribe of the teacher of the law. Teacher, teacher, tell me which one is the greatest of these commandments. Oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Oh, I've got a tricky one for you, T. Well, who is my neighbor? Tell him the story of the good Samaritan. He asked him, which one is the neighbor? The one who showed compassion. Go and do likewise. Every time they come to him, they try to challenge him. How can I get eternal life? And Jesus basically wanted to tell them, in my own heart, I want to believe I'm here. Because those who are listening to him, he, they did believe him. He says, I am the life and the resurrection. <laughs> I do believe in the resurrection. Now, you're not casting it. <laughs> You're not casting it. Though he die, yet he believe me, yet he shall live. So are you living today? 
Have you died to yourself? Have you crucified your flesh and picked up your cross to follow after Christ? Is it, can, you, can, can you really quote Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, the one who loved me and died for me. So now the life I do live, I live by faith. I live by what? Faith. My faith is not a wish, but it's confidence that my God can do amazing, awesome, wonderful things. Anybody here know that God can do the impossible? That God can do some miracles in our lives? That for man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And the reason why with God all things are possible because God can make all things possible. Nothing can contain one who is holy and righteous and almighty. I'm so glad today that I know a God that's seated at the seating above us and Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf who sent us the hallelujah, the Holy Spirit, that we might have a right relationship with him and hear from him, know of him, and know how to walk by faith. Because we walk by faith trusting in his teachings that his teachings are true. I'm about to leave you alone, but real quick, I want you to understand how we have so much faith in other things more than we have God. You have faith when your teacher told you without a shadow of a doubt that two plus two equals four. You didn't debate it. You didn't argue because you understood two plus two equals four. So they put up two plus two and they put the equal sign. You knew to put down four. You put down five. You put down three. You put down one. It's going to be wrong. And it's going to be wrong because the teacher told you two plus two equals four. You understand that. So you add that on. You start building. Okay, now I learn multiplication. Now, two times two, I learned that. Four times four, I learned that. But it all goes back to the base of what you believe to be true of addition. They show you how you add it all together. You need two apples plus two apples. That equals four. Well, if you multiply the two apples, you get this. So you add them up. If you don't know how to multiply, well, make them into groups. And you add up the groups, and you'll still get the addition. You go back to the basic denomination that you understood of addition. And you understand that, and you believe that to be true. Here, I want you to understand, for 2,000 years, it has been taught and it has been believed and it has been preached that Jesus is true. So go back to everything you may not understand and go back to the basic denomination that there is a God, there is sin, you can't make it without him, but he came, he died, he rose again. So will you walk by it? Will you apply it to your life? And say, I believe in this. You believe two plus two equals four. Will you believe in what God has revealed to us? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you walk by faith and not by sight? Let's pray. Father, we come. We surrender our lives to you.